Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The truth is the tattered and shredded black family structure has undermined American black people's ability to produce male leaders. We're a matriarchal culture. Because of psychological damage caused by having no father in the home, black athletes do not respond well to black male authority figures, especially in a sport with a leadership model similar to the military. I'm talking about the NFL. Black players don't care about black coaches. The whole simple-minded conversation about black NFL coaches is a manufactured bread and circus for talk show hosts and lazy journalists. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Monday uh, to you and yours. We made it through the weekend and have a great week of shows planned for you, starting with today, a, a single topic, and we're gonna talk about it with uh, Steve Kim and TJ Moe. The NFL season is just around the corner, just around the corner, and so I wanna give you a little bit of a taste of some NFL talk and why with teams reporting to training camp or whatever, why I'm not as excited as I normally am. Uh, first thing I need you to do though, honestly, I, I need some help. This is a new jacket I bought. Uh, it's not a new shirt, it's the, the shirt's a little too big, but this is one of the smallest jackets I've purchased in years. Uh, and and it's, I had bought some other ones and, and uh, maybe three, four weeks ago, and, and then when I went back to go buy a couple of more, I had to get even smaller than just a month ago. But this is a little snug, and I'm wondering if you guys could hop in the chat. I'll be there in the chat monitoring if you could hop in the comments. How's this jacket look on me? Is it, is it too snug? Is it, you know, I, I, I don't I kind of like it. But maybe that's just because I know what size it is and I know how hard I've worked to get here. Uh, but you know, if you could hop in the comments or in the live chat and give me a thought on this new jacket, uh, what do you think? Did I go too small or is this actually a good size and a good fit? Does it look good on camera? It feels decent. It'll feel a little bit better, I think, in a couple of weeks uh, when I've lost a little bit more weight. But I'm very excited about uh, you know, my weight loss journey and all that. And so uh, give me your thoughts, questions, comments in the chat. Uh, and I'll reward you for doing so by uh, lighting this fire and leading you on a good discussion about the NFL. All right, the same billionaires willing to pay Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson $46 million a year in salary are two races to pay black men $5 million to coach Murray and Watson? The argument that the NFL is a bastion of white supremacy hasn't made much sense for nearly 50 years. 
You'd think this past offseason would be the final nail in the outdated narrative, but it's unlikely to die. It will be kept alive by a constant retelling of the league's flawed history and a simple-minded explanation of the league's hiring practices related to head coaches. Welcome to NFL season 2022. Pardon me for my lack of enthusiasm. Training camps have opened. We're 45 days from the start of the regular season. I've never been less excited for the start of professional football. The game feels disconnected from reality. It's used as a prop to make specious arguments denigrating the league and America as systemically racist. I don't have the stomach for it. The American economy is in free fall. Inflation has shrunk the middle class. Times are hard for most Americans, except for those with some rare athletic skill and or a willingness to ignore the absurdity of elite influencers getting rich for promoting games and narratives intended to distract from our descent into Babylon. Murray and Watson have rare athletic skills and little else. This offseason, the other Arizona Cardinals and the Cleveland Browns rain record contracts on the pair of quarterbacks. Despite two dozen sexual assault allegations and a likely suspension hovering, the Browns traded for Watson and gave him a guaranteed contract worth $230 million. It's the most guaranteed money in NFL history. Imagine that. The man with a league-shattering number of sexual assault allegations received the most guaranteed money in NFL history. That's quite the combination and accomplishment. And it's rather surprising given the fact the NFL allegedly suffers from systemic white racism. Watson is black. So is Kyler Murray. Murray has no off-field issues. His issues are on the field. He's now the second highest paid player in the league, trailing only Aaron Rodgers, but he's not one of the NFL's 10 best quarterbacks or 50 best players. The wear and tear of the regular season causes the pint-sized quarterback to melt in December. In three seasons and 13 games in the month of December, the 5'9", 190-pound pound passer has thrown 17 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. The Cardinals are five and eight in those games. In 46 NFL starts, Murray's record is 22, 23, and one. He's never thrown for more than 26 TDs in a season. In this era, elite quarterbacks routinely toss 35 plus touchdown passes. In his first three years, Murray has thrown 70 touchdowns and 34 interceptions. In comparison, in his first 46 starts, Patrick Mahomes tossed 114 TDs and 24 interceptions. In 49 starts, Lamar Jackson has thrown 84 TDs and 31 INTs. Let's don't even compare one-loss records. Mahomes and Jackson led winning teams. Kyler Murray makes more money than Mahomes and Jackson. That's likely going to change as it relates to Lamar Jackson. The Ravens and Jackson have spent much of the offseason trying to work out a deal. The contracts awarded to Watson and Murray have complicated those negotiations. Given Murray's deal, what do you pay Lamar Jackson? Jackson won the league's MVP award in 2019 and had one of the greatest seasons in NFL history. But I digress. The point of this fire starter 
is to call out America's absurd culture, priorities, and debates. The NFL, America's national pastime, the number one TV show on five different networks, is America's primary supplier of bread and circus. It's entertainment designed to keep the masses happy as the masses are robbed of God-given rights and freedoms. That's why the NFL refuses to defend itself from allegations of racism. That's why Colin Kaepernick remains in the league's conversation. The Raiders granted Kaepernick a tryout this offseason. Why? It's why the Pittsburgh Steelers hired Brian Flores, the former Dolphins head coach who is suing the NFL for racial discrimination. The Dolphins fired Flores. He claims he was fired because he's black. The NFL is a willing participant in the overthrow of American values. For years, I wondered why a league and industry that produces more black male millionaires than any other industry is so reluctant to defend itself from allegations of systemic racism. Commissioner Roger Goodell and the league's top black executive, Troy Vincent, know the league's positive impact on black boys and men. Why won't they tell it? Why do they constantly bend to the woke mob? They know racial bias and animus do not explain the racial disparity in black and white head coaches. The owners don't care who they pay to lead their teams. The Browns just gave an alleged serial predator $230 million to play quarterback. The truth is the tattered and shredded black family structure has undermined American black people's ability to produce male leaders. We're a matriarchal culture. The NFL is a patriarchy. Because of the psychological damage caused by having no father in a home, black athletes do not respond well to black male authority figures especially in a sport with a leadership model similar to the military. Here's another inconvenient and uncomfortable truth. The rise of the black quarterback is directly tied to the technological advances that allow coaches to puppet master quarterbacks from the sidelines. In the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the quarterbacks used to routinely call their own plays. That's no longer the case. Football games, now more than ever, are orchestrated from the sideline and the press box. The players are less valuable as leaders. They're paid for their raw talent. That's why the Browns do not care about Deshaun Watson's character flaws. He's not being paid to lead. He's being paid to follow the instructions communicated in his helmet. He'd rather have those instructions be delivered by a white man. That's part of the reason he was so comfortable last season, skipping the opportunity to play for David Culley in Houston. David Culley is black. Black players don't care about black coaches. The whole simple-minded conversation about black NFL coaches is manufactured bread and circus for talk show hosts and lazy journalists. Are you not entertained? Mm. All right. That's my fire. Uh, that's the conversation I want to have today uh, with Steve Kim and TJ Moe. Uh, and so without further ado, we'll roll out and talk to uh, the Korean Cosell. And uh, Steve, I, I want to start you here. Do you have a problem, just as a fan, 
not not just just as a fan, are you comfortable with a Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson getting paid the kind of money they're getting paid? Uh, first of all, good Monday to you. I can't say that I I feel either way about it. Uh, and we, we talked about this last week with Lamar Jackson. Quarterbacks are going to be paid. And that particular market for that position is the one spot in the National Football League that is actually protected. You actually get overpaid and you get taken care of over and above your value. And so there's an old saying about a rising tide lifts all vessels. That's the truth in quarterback play. The bottom line is, is when a Patrick Mahomes can sign this basically on a half-billion-dollar contract just a year or two ago, and that contract almost looks obsolete, shows you a lot about the quarterback privilege. It's not black privilege. It's not white privilege. But there is a quarterback privilege that exists in the National Football League. And as it relates to Deshaun Watson and now Kyler Murray, they are the beneficiaries of that privilege. Got it. I may be asking a slightly different question, though. I'm just as a fan, <laughs> when I look at Kyler Murray getting this kind of money, I'm like, did he earn it? Really? $46 million a year? <clears throat> and then when I go to Deshaun Watson, I go, you know, his play on the field, I got no problem with him getting paid. Yeah. But his conduct off the field makes me go, did he earn it? Really? With this guy's conduct off the field, are we really paying him this kind of money? That, I, I don't know, just as a fan, I'm, I don't have a problem with the amount of money they, these guys make, but, but it's like, who gets paid? And have they really earned it after three years? And, and you're 22, 23 and one, your performance in December, is not nearly as good as what you do in September and October. I, I just, I just feel like these athletes today, and it's in all the sports, they don't have to earn it the way they used to, and I'm just not comfortable with that. No, you may not be, but that's a personal choice. <clears throat> Again, are we fans or are we moralists? Uh, we have to be honest. These guys are not our next door neighbors. They're not related to us. I don't look at them as role models. Uh, but I'm a lot older. Yes, from an ethical and moral standpoint, you could certainly question the deal of Deshaun Watson. But get this, Jason, the National Football League is a business, and that is a franchise that's under pressure to win, okay? So talent wins out, talent matters, talent gets paid. But to a deeper point, um, I think the media needs to stop this whole narrative of the black quarterback being treated any better or worse than a white quarterback. That, that's simply been debunked the last 20-some-odd years. Uh, the days of quarterbacks like Reggie Collier, who I grew up watching the USFL, who were never given a fair chance because of their style of play and their athleticism <clears throat> was almost held against them, are over. I mean, I told you this a couple of years ago, Jason. Nowadays, if you're a black quarterback in college and you show any proclivity to be a quarterback at the next level, whether you're Dante Culpepper, Spurgeon Wynn, David Gerrard, you're going to get a shot. The days of Warren Moon being the best player on the field with the rocket arm in the Rose Bowl for the University of Washington and then having to go to the CFL and win five great cups to prove your worth are over. And the example that I would use in terms of how the playing field is now leveled, go back to Eric Crouch. 2001, he won the Heisman at Nebraska. 
But his style of play, they said, bro, you're going to have to be a safety. You're not playing quarterback at the next level. Justin Edelman was a quarterback in the MAC, and they told him, look, you're, you're a 5'9 little white guy. You're Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman, right. So everyone's being treated the same. And this is a book that I read a long time ago, Quarter Black by Doug Williams, one of the best books I ever read. Came in 1990. You learned a lot about this man. And I have so much respect for this guy because the character that he showed and the stuff that he went through. And, and the reason why he left for the USFL, remember he played for the Outlaws that lasted one one year, was because his owner, Hugh Culverhouse, was literally paying him less than several backups. And this guy, along with Leroy Selman, was the heart and soul of the Buccaneers. And then he had to take a redshirt year in 86 behind Jay Schrader. Um, yes, do I think there was a point that black quarterbacks had a tougher road? Do I think that they were treated differently? Yes. But to say that it happens now in 2020 and beyond, I, you'd have to show me evidence of it besides your own personal bias that certain people have. All right, you, you've jumped ahead. I'm going to... I'm gonna jump back to your point here, or you've moved me to a point a little quicker than I wanted to get to. Steve, part of my argument is that the tattered black family structure undermines black male leadership. When 75% of your kids are growing up in homes led by a woman or some single parent, no dad around, it undermines your ability to produce leaders. You couple that, the, the, the rise of the black quarterback is not a coincidence that it's happened at the same time that the game has been taken away from the quarterback and now the game is managed from the sidelines and from the pe- press box and, and, and they don't really care about leadership and that's why a Deshaun Watson can get paid. He's nobody's leader. He can't lead in that locker room. He's been clown suited uh, by all these women. Uh, and so I, I just think that the, the technological advances and, and, the, it, it, and this again goes to my discomfort in terms of the game has actually gotten easier for the quarterback and more responsibility has actually been put on the sidelines and the coaches, but we've seen this rapid ballooning of, of uh, quarterback salaries, and w- we've seen the head coaching salaries balloon as well, but I'm not sure if it's proportional. The coach is actually more important in football than he's ever been at any time in the history of football. Mm-hmm. When O.J. Simpson and, and uh, uh, Walter Payton were the highest paid players in the NFL. That was a player-dominated, player-driven league. Quarterbacks in the 60s, 70s, 50, many of them called their own plays. Now it's all a head coach-driven thing, but we're lavishing all this money on the quarterbacks. It's like they're, they're carrying the biggest load. I just don't believe it. Jason, J- Jason, you've lost so much weight. I can't call you Fat Joe, but you need to lean back. Let me disagree with you a lot. Okay? Okay, a lot. Here's the ironic part about the father situation. You know what the ironic part is in this particular one? Kyler Murray had a father, a very strong father figure that I think me and you have both said, wow, that guy's very influential. You know what? It hasn't been a great thing because his behavior is not what I expect out of a franchise quarterback. 
there are certain things that he's done, whether it's scrubbing the social media or subtweeting. I'm like, you know what? You're allowed to be unhappy with your work situation. You are a quarterback. You can act that way as a wide receiver. You can act that way as a linebacker. I'm sorry. If you have quarterback privilege, there's also quarterback standards that I would like you to adhere to. Here's the other thing about the technological advances of football. I, I disagree, though. You know why I think there's more and more black quarterbacks? I think the style of play has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I get it. Most quarterbacks now have a headset where the coaches call the game. But with the rise of the spread offense, which now every high school in America basically is running a version of the spread. So there used to be a time when quarterbacks were really thought about don't run the ball, stay in the pocket. But with the rise of the RPO, the read option, and now the fact that quarterback athleticism is being utilized and you're, you're cutting down the field in certain respects with one read, there's going to be more and more black quarterbacks. There used to be a time, Jason, when I was in high school, and I think you were in high school, there used to be passing leagues, the seven-on-sevens. And basically the only schools that did them were in California or suburban schools. And literally it was only the white kids that had quarterback tutors. Guess what? Everyone does that now. The seven-on-seven leagues in football, the summer camp circuit, is big across the country. It's the AAU version for football. So I actually think the, the, le the level playing field has helped the black quarterback and also the style of play. Also, I get it. The quarterback coach and the coordinator matter with the headsets. But let's go back to the Rams. Um, Goff was very effective for the first three years uh, under McVay. And they used to talk about he'd come to the line of scrimmage and he would literally be like a PlayStation player saying, hey, do this, do that. But even Goff was limited. And McVay made the choice and said, you know what? I like you, Goff, but I don't love you. I love what Matt Stafford can do with his arm. So the point is, Jason, yes, you can have a system, you can have a play caller, but here's the reality. Players still matter. And the reality is you could be the greatest coordinator in the world. You could be the greatest play caller. Got to have players. Players still matter. And here's the reality. There really is no quarterback, white, black, Mexican, or Asian, that calls their own plays anymore. The game is simply too complex. I get, players still matter. The only thing I would add is, but they don't matter as much as they used to. And so, and, what, and, what, and, uh, what? and oh, they Joe don't Jay. matter as much Jay. as they used to. Jay, Jay, you're thinking X's and O's. I'm thinking Jimmy's and Joe's. I, I'm just, uh, look. At the end of the day, if it was just about the best coaches, then usually, then why is Alabama winning every single year? Because, I mean, Nick Saban's a brilliant Because guy. they have the best coaches. And they have the Who, best coach. And again, and you best, talk about the spread oh, offense. This used to oh. drive me crazy when I would watch college games. They Everybody come up to the line of scrimmage and then look over to the sideline right. uh, to, <laughs> to be told what to do. And again, just me as a college player from the 80s, I, that was never our mentality. There was no help over on the sidelines. The help, they helped you uh, Monday through Friday, and then you got out there on Saturday and you were kind of on your own. Yeah, they'd, single in, they'd send in single in plays to the quarterback, but everybody else, all the training that went on all week, told you what to do based on alignment of the defense and the adjustments you had to make based on what step, blah, blah. And again, now the whole thing 
is there's a puppet masters on the sidelines and in college, they're all looking at the sidelines and soon enough, that same thing, and it, there's already signs of it, the NFL is all about looking over to the sidelines and, and the whole thing is orchestrated from the sidelines. I'm not trying to take a dump on these quarterbacks, but they're not doing what Joe Namath or what Warren Moon or what Dan Marino or what guys in, from yesterday, what Terry Bradshaw, they're not doing what they had to do. They're out, and and, and I, I, I get it. The spread is great. Wide receivers can now play quarterback. It's awesome. And it's changed the game. And you may make the argument it's more fun to watch a quarterback that can do all those different things. But it's not as hard. Mm. Jay, I, I will still argue playing quarterback effectively in the National Football League is still the most difficult task in professional sports, at least in America. And, and yes, can you scheme up certain things to accentuate athleticism, to make it easier on a quarterback? Yes. But to play at the highest levels and to win playoff games and beyond, you still have to be effective in the pocket and have real arm talent. And that goes beyond scheme. That goes beyond coaching. At that point, you separate the men from the boys when you have to be able to throw certain concepts so I, I, I completely disagree. I still think talent and ability absolutely trumps coaching. Because if you put Nick Saban at Wake Forest, uh, I, I'll guarantee you this, he will lose at least 50 points off his football IQ. Well, he won at Michigan State. Let me ask you this. <laughs> Lamar Jackson's coming up. <laughs> Lamar Jackson's coming up, or it is up. You know, they should have got a yeah. deal done this offseason. There's... Who knows if he's even going to participate in training camp or if he plans to play if they don't get a deal. Lamar Jackson's going into his fifth season. Mm. Uh, Kyler Murray's gotten paid just going into his fourth season. If, if Kyler Murray is worth $46 million a year, I'm sorry, Lamar Jackson is worth $56 million a year. He's yeah. worth $10 million. But, but, 37 and 12, I believe, is his career record. Uh, he's been the MVP. He had the most incredible 2019 season in the history of NFL quarterback play. When you add what he did running the football and throwing the football, it's the greatest season a quarterback's ever had. I know the next 2020 and 2021, not as good. He's backed off a little bit. But if Kyler Murray's worth 46, my God, what is Lamar Jackson worth? I, I guarantee you. Okay, so this is what happened when Lamar J uh, Jackson woke up this morning and he checked social media like we all did. And he heard and he read about Kyler Murray's deal. Oh! <laughs> I guarantee you, as happy as Kyler Murray is, Lamar Jackson's even more jubilant. Again, rising tide. Think about this. If you look at the rosters and the help they get on the outside, you don't think that Lamar Jackson would have loved to have even an aged A.J. Green, a new Hopkins, an Ertz, a Christian Kirk who's now with the Jaguars, or a young Rondell Moore who's an explosive playmaker? And that's the thing that gets me about Lamar Jackson. He hasn't had that much help. He really, Hollywood Brown is a one-dimensional, uh, take the top off the defense type of guy. He's no longer there. He has a Pro Bowl tight end. 
Last year, he had no running backs by week two or three. They all got injured. And yet, there came a point halfway through the year, they were still a really good team. Now, look, I said this last week. I'm not going to back off it. Lamar Jackson still has to evolve as a quarterback and have more easy plays where the ball gets out. And it's just simple. Back step, read, get the ball out quickly. But the thing that I like about him much more than Kyler Murray there is a maturity within him that I think is far beyond Murray. Murray has been petulant. He's been a little bit childish. Well, Lamar Jackson, to me, has been the rock of Gibraltar in a lot of ways. He just looks like a guy that you can give several hundred million dollars to, and you say, I trust you. You might get hurt. You might get trampled one day. But from a personality standpoint and character, I trust him. So, yes, if he... Kyler Murray is worth 45 to 46 million. There's no doubt about it. Lamar Jackson's getting paid 50 million dollars plus per year. So, and I agree with you. And I, I said here, if, if Murray's worth that, my God, I'd love to be uh, Lamar Jackson's agent. Even though Lamar Jackson and his mom representing, he doesn't have an agent. But <laughs> having said that, Warren Sharp has the football expert. If you're not following Warren Sharp, you're not really a football fan. You should follow his social media feed and all of his work. He's one of the smartest guys talking about the NFL. He tweeted out a quote from someone that's uh, an NFL uh, defensive coordinator, current NFL defensive coordinator, and the quote says, I don't give a SHIT if he wins the league MVP 12 times. I don't think he'll ever be a one as a quarterback. He'll be one as a football player, but not as a quarterback. Mm. Uh, this has pissed a lot of people off. And of course, people are saying, oh, it's got to be Jack Del Rio. There's a lot of people complaining. And of course, the race card is going to be played. But I do think a lot of NFL coaches, that, that's reflective of what they think. Lamar Jackson's a tremendous athlete that you can figure out come playoff time and slow him down and eliminate him from the playoff. And if he, a, a true number one quarterback, the, the jury is, is still out on a bit. And again, everything you said about Lamar, I, I think he's committed. I think he's mature. I think you can hand him all this money and he's going to continue to work his butt off to be great. All of that is true. Is he a great pocket passer? And will that bite him in the rear end in December and January, I think, are fair questions. Uh, Jason, I, I, like you, share a very high opinion of Warren Sharp. But I will say this. I think the only person that loves Lamar Jackson more than his mother is Warren. I mean, he loves Lamar Jackson. I mean, I'm going to say this right now. If Lamar needs an agent and Lee Steinberg is no longer in the business, he ought to get Warren. Warren ought to get at least 5%. But here's the issue, and I think it's a look. Has Lamar been stifled in the playoffs in his first four or five years? Yes. The record is the record. But keep this in mind, and I'm not making a comparison player to player, but I'd like to think Peyton Manning was a really good quarterback, one of the all-time greats. Um, he came into the league in 1998. Jason, he didn't win a playoff game until 2003. It's probably one you covered. It was in Kansas City where they beat a really powerful offensive club in the Chiefs. I don't think they punted that game. It was like a 38-35 game. Yeah, there yeah. wasn't a punt. 
but it took them a while to get that ball rolling. But look, this year is a litmus test for Lamar. You're into your fifth year. Dobbins is back. Gus the Bus is back. Um, it's put up or shut up. You're right, because I, I think the coordinator has a point, though. That there are certain players in all sports. They're very good in the regular season, right? They're great. But once you condense the whole talent, and all of a sudden it becomes a game of fractions of inches, and it's a possession here and a possession there, you're right. That's where Lamar has to actually be that guy that come January, the turn of the new year, he's the type of guy that could put up the same type of numbers that he does September all the way up to Christmas. I love your analogy to Peyton Manning because it, it plays into a point I've made for years. I was critical of Peyton Manning and the because I thought it was a legitimate criticism that at crunch time, you saw it in his college career, you saw it in his yeah. pro career, he didn't play the best against the highest competition. Tennessee won a national championship as soon as T. Martin took over for him. Yeah. T. Martin wasn't half the quarterback that Peyton Manning was. The flaw for Peyton Manning, this is how it relates to my conversation, is Peyton Manning loved to control the football game, loved yeah. to take things into his own hands on the field. And in this modern NFL, and this is what I always said Brady's advantage was over Peyton Manning, is that Brady allowed the coaches to control the game in New England. Peyton Manning wanted to control the game from on the field, be old school. He's Archie Manning's son. He knows the game like the back of his head. But I don't think you can outthink these coaches that stand on the sidelines, never take a hit, never lose their breath. Nothing. You can't outthink them in that playoff chess game. And Peyton Manning was trying to do it while taking hits, while running out of breath, and it would catch up to him in the postseason. And, and, and that's why he didn't have as much success as Brady, who, during his New England years, allowed himself to be a system quarterback and allowed those coaches to control things. The offensive coordinators, either it was Charlie Weiss or Josh McDaniels or whoever. Oh, who was the guy I'm thinking, the Texans head coach uh, for a while? Bill O'Brien. Yeah, Bill O'Brien. He allowed those guys uh, to control the game. And so, and, and Peyton paid a price for that in terms of wins and losses. So maybe I'm contradicting myself a bit here, saying that, you know, it's because I do think it works. The game is better when it's controlled by the coaches, the guys that aren't breaking a sweat, or the games run more efficiently by the coaches, the guys not breaking a sweat, than back in the old era when there wasn't those communication through the helmet and, and you had to render some control to the quarterbacks. But it doesn't betray my overall point. Game's easier for these guys, and they're all getting paid a generational wealth. Kyler Murray, $46 million a year. Guy hasn't proven anything. Steve, I'm going to let you go. Uh, thank you so much. Great job. Uh, let me take care of a little business. Ronald Reagan once said, all great change in America starts at the dinner table. Well, there's no company doing more to help you bring your family and friends to the table than Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers delivers 100% American meat to your door. They guarantee your meat is born, raised, and harvested here in the United States so you know who you're supporting. I have personally tried it. <laughs> it's awesome. 
It is a great product. The T-Bones burgers, ribeyes, and even the chicken, it's all some of the best I've had. I mean, they age every cut to perfection so that you can enjoy a true steakhouse experience every single time. Every box is of superior quality, flavor, and value. Good Ranchers supports American agriculture and business. They support us and what we do. So go check them out. Support those who support us and our view. Your country and taste buds will thank you. Make sure you use my promo code FEARLESS to get $30 off your order, plus get free express shipping. You can make gatherings at the table common again with Good Ranchers. Take advantage of this offer before it's gone. Go to goodranchers.com fearless to start bringing people to the table, creating change in America, and eating seriously delicious food from Good Ranchers. All right, welcome back. Uh, not quite done with you, Steve. Uh, we got to get through our approval rating on Kyler Murray. Uh, we'll see uh, what numbers you can come up with, either end in five or zero uh, for Kyler Murray. Uh, <laughs> uh, job performance. Uh, I, I got to mark him down uh, for his, you know, December numbers. I, I can't go too high. If you can't do it at crunch time, does it really matter? Got to give him some high marks, though, because, you know, he's put up these numbers. And you know, no matter what I say about his passing numbers, I think in his second year he ran for 11 TDs. And so he's a threat with both his arm and legs. And so I'll give him a 15 in job performance. Jay, I gave him the exact same rating. Look, he's been good, not great, uh, certainly not a bust, but – there's going to come a point in time, like Lamar Jackson, he's going to have to have playoff success, and he was awful against the Rams. I'm not saying it's always one player, but the quarterback always gets the brunt or the credit or the blame. So I, I, I do think this, though, in, in today's quarterback world, unless you're Lamar Jackson, you got to get at least 4,000 yards passing, which he has not done yet. Um, but, again, good, not great, so I'll go with the 15. Uh, character. Uh, I, I can't, I can't go too hard on him on the character right. He's not been in any kind of trouble, uh, you know. As far as I know, uh, there are you know some teammates that I've heard kind of anonymously say, not the greatest team guy, and so I, I'm not going to go super high. But I, I give him a 17 in character. Wow. Okay. This is one of the few occasions where I was a lot lower than you. I went a 10. I Again, quarterback privilege comes with quarterback responsibilities. And the way he's acted and some of that stuff he's done, I just go, no. No, no. It, it, to paraphrase Terrell Owens, that's not my quarterback. It's not my quarterback. I gave him a 10. I don't like that. I'm sorry. He's half Korean. I hold him to a high standard. What's his biggest crime? What's his biggest crime? Look, if you're a quarterback, I don't want you doing this stuff like, um, you know, uh, I'm not following you anymore. Or just like, I hate that stuff. Get off. But look, you hate social media and what it brings. And Kyler Murray has fallen into that. And my view is, as a quarterback, if you want to be a good one, if you want to be a true franchise quarterback, you have to be a leader of men. Do you think that behavior is that of a leader of men, Jason? Yes or no? No, no. No, there you go. I guess I, I, I contributed more to a lack of authenticity, and that's where we are next. 
I don't know if he's authentic. Uh, I, I think that, you know, again, you made the point earlier in our discussion about his dad. I think he, he's a bit of a pampered, spoiled daddy and mama's boy. And I think that undermines his authenticity. Uh, you know, this whole little, I might go play Major League Baseball. You know, he's pulled that trick scam. Uh, or and, and you know I guess kind of threatened that a little bit even here. I just don't find him very authentic, so I gave him a twelve in authenticity. Again, you, I want to call you the Salvation Army today. You're being charitable. I gave him a five because that whole baseball thing. He, I guess he's with the Oakland Athletics, and I read somewhere, and I, I know it's true. Your salary right now is probably more than the whole payroll of that team currently. You were never playing for the Athletics. Give him a five. Sick of him. Well, he was supposed to be a really good baseball player. If he had ever made it to superstar, then probably by his sixth or seventh year, he could have made a bunch of money in baseball and less wear and tear on his body. But it factor, uh, I got to go high here. He's, he's a, you know, he's a little bitty guy. Everybody loves the underdog. He's a little short guy, midget playing quarterback. Can you say midget now in these days? Oh, is that boy, politically oh, incorrect? You can't, you can't say midget? Well, he's a midget, and he plays quarterback, and that's pretty exciting in the NFL. And so I give him a 20 uh, in it. Oh, factor. what? Uh, a know, 20? Shots, he's a midget playing quarterback. Lamar Jackson has Warren Sharp. Uh, Kyler Moore has you. Uh, first of all, it is funny about the short. Can you say midget? Because on Twitter, there were these memes of these little remote control cars going down the freeway, and it said Kyler Murray going to sign his contract. Did you see that? Or that little little guy throwing a football that looked all big? So, I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit harsh. But, I mean, look, he plays in a perfect system. But to me, quarterbacks that have it have got to win in the playoffs. So I gave him a 10. Look, statistically, he's been okay. But if we're going to hold quarterbacks to the same standard, Lamar Jackson gets marked down because of postseason non-success, I will hold Kyler Murray to the exact same standard. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Yes. Yes, okay. I did. This guy's, this guy's the imp who was the greatest character on Game of Thrones. Very fascinating, interesting to see. This is like, did you like Doug Flutie? I mean, Doug Flutie was a little guy to play. Huh? I loved Doug Flutie. Yeah, the little guy playing quarterback. That's always a great story. It it is. But, again, Doug Doug didn't come with these issues, though. That matters. And Doug was never actually. As far as you know, there was no social media. He wasn't. Remember Doug Flutie's one great year in Buffalo? He leads them to the playoffs. And the week before, they say, hey, uh, Rob Johnson's our starter. Give me a break. Terrible, terrible. All right. Uh, I'm just sorry. Doug Flutie, you, you just never knew. I'm sure he had the same Napoleon syndrome as every guy I know that's 5'8 or shorter. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize for saying that. There's people in the room I could have offended. Uh, <laughs> overall score, uh, I'm going to give him a 64, a grease fire. Hey, guy signs for 46 million bucks, and you got him as a dumpster fire? I'm sorry. I don't count his money. I'm not in his pocketbook. I don't get a percentage. I'm not a manager. All right. We got to let you go. All right. 
Thank you, Steve. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com. Uh, we're going to bring in the Show Me Kid and talk with someone who actually knows football in the quarterback position, former SEC wide receiver, TJ Moe, the Show Me Kid, next. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to dive a little deeper uh, into Kyler Murray, uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, Deshaun Watson, the whole black QB thing, uh, with uh, T.J. Moe, former SEC wide receiver. Show me, kid. He ain't scared. And so we're going to talk about, <laughs> about all this stuff. And, T.J., I'm going to start you here with a doozy of a question for a white guy. Does the hmm. collapse of the black family structure undermine black male leadership oh sure i think the collapse of the family structure in both white and black communities undermine all male leadership and so we've seen it i mean we talk about it happens in the the black community at a much higher rate 75 percent of kids or so are born out of wedlock but 25 percent of white kids are born out of wedlock that is a lot one out of four so you still have you know it's that is if if a you know Put those two numbers together on a football team and based on the white kids being 30 percent of the of the team in the NFL and the black kids being 70 percent, that's over 50 percent of the kids without a dad. So you're expecting them to come in and respect male leadership when they've never experienced it themselves. Look, it's like it makes them really crappy rule followers. That's why 85 percent of the youth who are currently in prison grew up in fatherless homes. They don't know how to follow rules very well. That's according to the Texas Department of Corrections. Um, fatherless kids have lower levels of sociability, confidence, self-control. They're quicker to anger. They're more aggressive. Fathers tend to, if you go look at all the studies, they, they bring the discipline to a household. And so they utilize what you'd call authoritarian, uh, authoritative parenting. And so, you know, it's, it's loving, but you have clear boundaries and expectations for what you're going to do. It leads to better emotional, academic, um, social, behavioral outcomes for kids. This is based on every study ever done. I'm not, this is not uh, cherry picking. I'm just telling you, this, this is clear stuff. I can give you a personal example. Call me a sexist, but you're also going to have to call her, call my daughter a sexist who's one years old. She climbs up on the fireplace all the time and my wife will say, Haven, get down. And she'll turn around and smile at her. And I, in a deep voice, say, Haven, get down. And she sits right down and then she cries because she understands male leadership. It's just a different. I mean, I can't explain it to you again. Call me a sexist. People respond even at a young age. You understand how that works. So to answer your question, Yes, it's worse in the black community because there's far more of it, but it's certainly not a problem for black people. The white kids without fathers have all the same issues. And so 
I bring that up because I'm relating it to the conversation that we'll hear during this NFL season about black coaches. And, and there will be no discussion. All, the entire discussion will sit around, well, the reason there's not more black coaches is because the ownership is racist. And there will be no discussion like, well, hold on. Black people have this culture that's very matriarchal. Black women are the leaders of black culture. You can see it everywhere. And, and there will be no discussion like, well, hold on. If a guy grows up in a culture that worships women, worships the mother, uh, his, his mom and dad has been a mother, uh, uh, has been a woman, I wonder if that prepares him and does it prepare the player to be led by a black man when many black men grow up feeling abandoned by their fathers? I I've said it a million times for 20 years, if not longer, that many of these black athletes don't trust black coaches because of the psychological damage of not having grown up with a father. None of that will ever be discussed as it relates to why aren't black men becoming head coaches in the NFL? And, and is, that, is the avoidance of that conversation just more of the fear, white reporter feels he'll be called racist, and black reporters and journalists either don't have the balls or the courage or the intellect to even raise up the conversation? Well, I think your last part is certainly true. There are very few people willing to even discuss the topic. I think there's the other side of the coin is equally as important. Not having a dad doesn't show you how to be a man. And if you don't learn how to be a man, it's very difficult to become a leader of other men. And so it's not just that black kids who aren't used to black fathers being in the home won't listen to black male figures. It's that black men didn't grow up with a father in the home and it's harder to become really good leaders. You're behind the eight ball from the second you're born without a dad. So this is, it is part of the discussion that we should all have. And again, there's nothing, you know, it's, uh, we were listening to a sermon yesterday. This white skin's just the house I'm living in. Ain't got nothing to do with me. But it turns out that people that happen to look like me, don't have my genetics, don't have anything else, happen to look like me, tend to have dads in the household more often. So then when you take the skin out and just look at the obvious, well, how about just the dads in the household? Those people across the board, white, black, Asian, Latino, does not matter, have an easier time through life than people without fathers in the home. So it's not just that you're being trained not to listen to them because of the matriarchy. It's that you have a harder time ever ascending to that position at all because you were never given the example of how to lead. I, I think I, I can personalize a lot of this. My parents divorced when I was around five years old. Uh, my dad's involved in my life uh, significantly. And then, uh, you know, my final year of high school, I started living with my dad and he had tremendous impact. And throughout college, my mother, when I was in college, my mother lived, was in Kansas City and my dad was right there in Indianapolis, just an hour away. And so me and my dad got very close and his influence over me uh, heightened, uh, you know, later in life. But I think my college coaches w would tell you, like, man, Whitlock was a handful. 
He mm -hmm. bucked up against authority. Uh, he didn't want to buy in. And, you know, he was a decent player, but he could have been a really good player, a great player for us if he could have adapted to our leadership model. And, th and so it really wasn't until later in life that the things my dad planted in me and that relationship really took root and I had a, a more mature understanding and belief in male leadership and all, and all of that. I, 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 I just say all that to say I'm not trying to rip and shred black coaches, black athletes. I'm trying to get us to deal with the unique ramifications that come about because our family structure has been completely destroyed and undermined and, and we can't just sit around and say, oh, it's the feelings of white people that determine our success in life. The culture that you embrace, the values that you embrace, and, and again, I, I, <laughs> what, what did I, I just saw somewhere where the, the mayor, and we'll probably talk about this later in the week, but the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, today in a press conference, called God a woman and, you know, said she did X, Y, and Z for me. <laughs> and I'm not shocked at all that he, he would say this because that's where black culture is at this time. It worships the woman and it denies biblical truths and it wants to recreate history and redefine uh, male and women roles. And so the mayor of New York City, a black man, is telling the world that God is a woman. And, and he's got five female deputy mayors that he's bragging about. He doesn't believe in black male leadership. And, and, and we're shocked that uh, black men are struggling to become head coaches in the NFL. And when they get those jobs, we're shocked when black athletes, the predominantly black athletes in the NFL, have a hard time following their lead. Well, I, I must have missed the, the verse where they call it uh, God the Mother, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I missed that one. I do think it's God the Father. And, it, you know, I think, outsiders view, that black people as a whole have been conditioned to think that everything that the white man has done is bad because of slavery, everything. Doesn't matter what good outcome that has been created by their behavior, that's bad because it came from white people. Instead, because prior to the 1960s, if you go back to like the 50s and the 30s or even more, the black family was seriously intact. Intact in many occasions. I mean, black people were getting married during slavery undercover. Right. They had their own. This is this is what marriage should be. It ain't got nothing to do with the government. It has to do with you, your wife and God. And black people have been doing that for all of time. And they they created their own families, even when legally it would not be observed. And so for whatever reason, the culture has said, hey, the nuclear family is a white thing. I'll give you another example. I saw this one uh, on, on Twitter. The there was somebody who. Uh, 
was ripping on Joe Biden, who I, I think I gave him a negative 10 score when we did the approval rating. So you're aware I'm no fan of Joe Biden. But they said it was why it was it was a representation of his white privilege and supremacy. And he was showing white urgency by continuing to work while he had covid. And I'm like, you're telling me urgency and doing your job because people are counting on you, even when you don't feel your best, is a white characteristic. Urgency and responsibility are characteristics of people that are good at their job. White, black, Asian, Latino, again, does not matter. So my contention would be that we should all reevaluate what good characteristics are embrace those no matter what race you are and discard the bad ones. So just because white people did a lot of really stupid things in the past, do not look at all of the good things they do and say that's for white people and then you're stuck with only the terrible things because that's what we're doing with the fatherlessness issue today. We're saying that, hey, that's a white man thing. White dads stick around. We don't have to do that. It's all about the moms here. Why do we even need dads? It's all about the matriarchy. It, it is a serious problem, and you've talked a lot about this. I just, I think we need a full recalibration of what's important. Why won't the NFL defend itself from allegations of, of racism? It has an amazing story to tell about its impact, positive impact on black boys and men. I contend it's because the NFL has accepted its role that they're part of the overthrow of traditional American values and the reason why Roger Goodell, Troy Vincent, none have the balls to stand firm and defend the NFL whenever it's accused of racism. They got stats, evidence, stories, they got everything they could throw at that, but they won't do it. I, I think the NFL knows its role is to be the bread and circus while uh, and distraction while we get robbed of our freedom and rights and they remake this country. I think the NFL knows exactly what it's doing. It's not, it's not doing it out of any sort of fear. It's not, it's not doing it just to survive. It's in on the, the remaking of this country. But before I answer that, t tell me why, expand on that for me. Tell me why you think they're in on it and, and that they know their role and why their role could not just be something else just as easily and be more successful with the great story they have to tell? Uh, because I believe many of the owners are globalists. At the end of the day, they own, they, they made their money off of global corporations. And so I, I, I think they're putting up a front like they're bothered by what's going on, but, but I look at their swallowing of Black Lives Matter, I look at commercials about, hey, the NFL is gay, and I look at their hyper-focus on uh, making sure women are coaches, this whole diversity thing, uh, and, and they're implementing all of the rules of the new world order that's, that's trying to be established uh, and, and they've accepted the allegation that they're racist. Troy Vincent basically says it, Roger Goodell, anytime black coaches aren't given enough jobs during the offseason, well, you're right, it's because we're racist, and if we don't put these little extra tricks and incentives in, you get a third-round pick if you hire a black coach and all that. 
instead of just standing firm and saying, hey, this is a joke. You know what this league is about? Opportunity and how many opportunity. I have benefited. Jason Whitlock never peed a drop in the NFL. No one ever even thought about giving me a tryout. But America's love affair with football allowed me to escape poverty and get a football scholarship to a mid-major school and change the course of my life and help members in my family change the course of their life. The NFL has a tremendous story to tell. Football has a tremendous mm-hmm. story to tell. It won't tell it, and I think they're in on it. The, the, the ownership, Roger Goodell, Troy Vincent, the, the, you know, Roger Goodell making 40-some-odd million a year, Troy Vincent's probably making five, 10 million a year. They're good as long as their individual families are good, and they're not going to do what's right. And, and I'm... I think they think what they're doing is right. I certainly agree with the money part of what you just said. Colin Coward has a good line. I can't remember it exactly, but it goes something like Major League Baseball does it first. The NBA does it the best and the NFL makes the most money from it. And the idea for the NFL is they never lead on anything. The NFL has no values. The NFL has no principles. The NFL cares only about money. The NBA went woke. The NFL decided maybe we'll jump in on this. We'll see how it goes. Their ratings collapsed. The NFL jumped back, found a way to just pay to get people like Colin Kaepernick to not kneel. And, hey, we'll start a social – I still get this this from um, several of the – former player emails and things. If you have a social justice cause, just let us know. We got, we got money for it. We got grants, NFL grants. Just let us know and we'll put it. They decided to throw money at the problem because they knew the ratings weren't good, but they tried it for a season. The NBA tried it first. Their ratings are still unrecoverable at this point. And so the, they, the NFL is not going to go patriotic. They're not going to go. What is right? They're not going to suddenly turn back to Christian values until somebody else does it. And then they'll wait and see. And if that works, they'll triple down on it and they'll make the most money doing it. This is what the NFL does. I think I think if Major League Baseball turned around and became the most patriotic league and they ascended like crazy, the NFL would be right behind them. I just don't think the NFL has any principles. There's not a value in sight with these guys. They care only about sitting back, observing, making the most money possible, and then quadrupling down on whatever that thing is. Mm. All right, TJ, I may have you back tomorrow to talk about E.W. Jackson and that sermon you shared with me uh, yesterday. Uh, We're certainly going to get into it on Wednesday uh, with Bobby and Anthony, but we're going to get into it tomorrow as well. Uh, Anybody watching, if you go to my Twitter feed, I think I put out this E.W. Jackson um, uh, sermon. And if you can find it on my Twitter feed, you should watch it tonight. It'll help you with uh, tomorrow's uh, discussion. It should be uh, pretty incredible. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, and don't forget to uh, get in the comments. Tell me what you think of this new jacket. This, you know, I think it's a better fit for me. Makes me look, how do I look from the... Yeah, I think I like this jacket. Do I hear tomorrow play? What do you think, guys? I hear tomorrow, that means I'll see you tomorrow. We want freedom. I just want freedom.
I wanna be, I just want, I want. 